I want to welcome everyone listening to us on the internet and, and uh, some listening live, I know, and others listening uh, as a podcast. Appreciate you doing that. If you are listening on a, as a podcast, do um, leave a comment and give us a rating. It, it boosts us up the iTunes list. I want to uh, want to talk today on the topic of of our love for God. We won't turn to this passage, but you'll know that there is a story at the very end of John's Gospel. I'm sure you'll know this story where Jesus is sitting with Peter after his resurrection. And Jesus asks Peter three times, do you truly love me? You know that story? And he says, oh Lord, you know I love you. And I don't want us to look at this passage today, but just let me bring it to you first of all as an idea. How do we know what the answer to that question is? Jesus says to him, do you truly love me? Do you love me? And we know Peter gets a bit indignant about it. But just just taking that as an idea, I want to ask the question today, how do we know if we uh, love God? How do we know? How do I can... uh, stand up in a workplace or in a room like this and say, I love God. But I want to ask, how do I know I love God? I can say I love God, but how do I know? And of course, we're all faced with this uh, idea and it's a truth that we don't love God as much as we want to love God. So let's understand that right from the beginning. We're all somewhere on the journey of being in love with God. In as much, and, it, and in all human relationships, that's the same. I hope you love your wife or your husband more ten years from now than you do now. We're all on a journey, aren't we? But how can we know if we really love God? How can we know? Do we know that we love God if we are, you know, boisterous in a worship setting? Does the person who jumps up and down during worship, does that person love God more than the person next to them that doesn't jump up and down? Does the person who uh, knows the Bible really well, does that person love God more than the person who doesn't know the Bible so well? How do we judge it? How can we begin to judge it? And I want to bring something to us today that I hope that will help us as a group of believers. It's helping me. I hope it helps you to look at what the Bible says rather than what we might want to say about how we can how we can begin to weigh up, you know, where we are on the thermometer. A thermometer measures uh, the temperature. And so here is just a few minutes to help me, to help you, to know where we are at in answering the question, do I truly love God?
from a biblical perspective, not just something that we might make up. So anyway, let's see if this let's see if this will 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 help us. Here are four questions from the first epistle of John. If you want to think of this as a Bible study in one John, that's what we're having. From the first epistle of John, here's question one that John brings to his hearers about this whole topic. Do we really love people? Why don't you come with me now to 1 John 4. And I want you to open your Bible today. Let's, we're going to look at four passages in 1 John. You can underline them. You can make notes on it if you like. We're going to be in 1 John. John writes this. We'll begin in verse, I guess we could begin in verse 19. 1 John 4:19. He says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And then just one more verse in chapter 5 and verse 1 as he carries on the thought. Maybe the chapter division here is not quite in a good place. Because he goes on to say, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Did I read that? Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So do we truly love God? Do I truly love God? Well, here's a good first question to know where I'm at on the love thermometer. If I'm really growing in my love for God, then I'm going to grow also in my love for people. Now, I've found over the years, I don't know about you, but I've found over the years that God is a lot easier to love than certain people. When I read this, and he says, you can't love God who you haven't seen, but love people that you have seen. Sometimes I want to say, John, have you seen some of the people that I've seen? Because it seems to me that if one gets a good biblical uh, perspective on God, many people have their own God. Of course, even Christians make up a God that suits them. But a biblical Bible God actually is really easy to love. But I've met a few people who, who said that they knew God and they were much trickier to love. Can you say amen? Yeah, that's the quickest amen I've ever had. <laughs> you might be thinking it about me, of course. Certain people are lovely. And lots of other people, some people, they're not lovely at all. It seems to me that the way God views the universe is that we don't love people who are lovely. We love all people. We love all people. 
Now, just taking this a bit further, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've actually met Christians, and in talking to them in the way they talk, you know, there is no doubt in my mind that certain people I've met, they actually hate some people. Okay, so we're all kind of on the journey of this person is more of a challenge to love than this person. So we're all kind of on that scale. Uh, but actually, there are certain, uh, certain Christians who don't seem to think it's any problem at all to actually hate someone else. Am I telling the truth? And if you said to them, do you hate them? Of course they'd say, oh no, I, of course I don't. I don't hate anybody. I'm a Christian. But just you listen to the way they talk, just you listen to that look in their eyes, and they actually engage in the emotion or the, or the social transaction, if you like, of really disliking someone to the point where they'd be quite happy if life didn't go terribly well for them. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Now, I, I always want to throw this little rider in. God requires that I love all people. But that same uh, commandment does not mean that I'm required to trust all people. Does that help you? Because that's a different thing. That's a different thing. I told the story many times in the context of forgiveness, but it's such a good story, of uh, a preacher that was, he used to preach by walking up and down, well, I guess I'm doing it today, walking up and down the front row. And this little old lady was sat in the front row, and as the preacher was walking backwards and forwards, sweating and mopping his brow and preaching like this, he was, he was getting all excited about one particular point, and he kicked this lady right in her foot. And she screamed, you know, and, oh, I'm ever so sorry, prayed for her. There you are, believe you're healed. Yeah, thank you. And she screamed, you know, and she was in real pain. He kicked her. He kicked her. Now, do you know, that lady forgave that preacher. She understood it was an accident. He didn't mean to do it. But guess where she was sitting in the next meeting? Okay, let me try again. Guess where she wasn't sitting? Here. She was sitting right on the back row. And by the way, you on the back row, I'm coming to get you later. Because while she forgave the preacher for kicking her, that didn't mean she trusted him. Did she hate him? No. Did she love him? Possibly. Did she trust him? No. There's some people, I don't trust them. They, 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 they tell lies. They may go to church, they may carry a Bible, but they tell lies. They don't behave as Christians ought to behave. I don't trust them. But that doesn't mean that I want them to have a car crash. That doesn't mean I hate them. That doesn't mean I dislike them even. I want what's best for them. But that doesn't mean that I have the same relationship with them as I have with someone else. Do you understand? And so when we're talking about loving everybody, 
People think, well, I better jump out of this one because, you know, that's just not possible. No, what you really think, what you really mean is it's not possible to have a trusting, close relationship with everyone. And you're right. The Bible tells us on many of its pages to be sure that we have the right friends. And you find someone going down the pan, normally they're going down the pan with some other people dragging them down there. And so we have to choose the right friends, choose friends very, very carefully. But here is the first question that John asks us through the pages of his epistle. Are we really certain that we have a a love in our heart for people? Because if we love God, then we will love people because, as he writes here in chapter 5 and verse 1, anyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Loves his child as well. You can't say, well, Lord, I love you, but I really don't like your family. You ever had a circumstance like that where some say, you know, oh, I really want to marry you, but do I really have to marry your family? Can't we escape some other place? Do I really have to meet your mother again? I'm not talking about Jane here. I just wanted to make that clear. No. We are, if we love God, then we have to love his family. And you can't make yourself love people. But what you can do is you can love God. And as you love God, guess what? You'll start to love his family. And I'm going to say that at least four times today because that's the whole point of this. You can't make yourself love people. But as you love God, your heart will soften, you see. And you'll begin to love the people he loves. He loves all people. That's the first question. How do we know if we love God? Well, if we know, if we are moving in a direction of loving God, we certainly aren't going to hate anyone. We certainly aren't going to be uh, angry and, you know, wanting people down. I remember one man, he fell out with another man. And someone said to him, you know, he was very angry with him and uh, he was challenged on it. And he said, why don't you, you sound like you're really angry with him. Don't you know the Bible says you must love your brother? And do you know what he said? He said, well, he's not my brother anymore. Unfortunately, he was wrong. <laughs> he was his brother. He was to love him. You can't choose your family. Isn't that a, uh, a well-known phrase? Number two, question two. Is holiness getting harder? Is holiness getting harder? I hope you're still in First John 5. The writer continues. He's spoken about how if we love God, we're going to love people. And then he goes on to write this. Verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Now, once again, look at me. I want to say, now look, John, let's just, let's just have a coffee together and talk. 
You've written here that you can't, it's, you know, it's easier to love people than it is God. And I want to say to John, no, it's not. But actually, what he's saying is if you love God, you will love people. And now he goes on to write this other radical thing. He writes that the commandments of God, the end of verse 3, are not burdensome. And sometimes I want to sit down and say, now look, John, how long have you been a Christian? Uh, Have you been saved a little while? Have you in fact died and your flesh is no longer active? Because the commandments of God do seem to be burdensome. We don't meet anyone. We don't meet anyone at all who seems to have got righteousness sorted out. Right? You met anyone who said, yeah, that's it now. I'm completely sanctified. In fact, there's a story of two Victorian preachers uh, a couple of centuries ago. They met for dinner. And one said to the other, I've called you here to have dinner with me because I have learnt the secret of perfect holiness. And the guy said, really? And he took the jug of water or wine or whatever it was. I guess if it was perfectly holy, it would not have been wine. He took the jug of water and he hurled it in the man's face. And this holy man with water all over him jumped up, got angry, kicked the chair and said, what do you think you're doing? To which his friend replied, ah, I see. Sleeping, but not dead. I don't meet anyone who doesn't have some challenges with the Bible, with some of the requirements of the Bible. Some people are tempted in this way. Other people are tempted in that way. I never met anyone who didn't sin, who didn't fail. So John, what are you talking about when you say the commandments of God are not burdensome? Well, here's a thought. Maybe what he's doing here is he's repeating Something very similar to what he wrote that Jesus said. In John 14, I think it's verse 15, when Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And let's not fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus is saying there, If you love me, you'll do this. Like a a kind of an emotional blackmail scenario. No, I think Jesus is drawing up a moral, mathematical formula. If you love me, if you can get that right, if you can put your energies into keeping that first New Testament commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, if you can love the Lord your God, if you can concentrate your energies onto that, then you will, as a consequence of that, you'll keep my commandments. Be natural for you. Be normal for you to keep the commandments of God. Do you know the biggest struggle of all is to try to keep the commandments of God and not be in love with God? Can you say amen? If you don't love God, You haven't got a hope of keeping any of his commandments. 
take some of the easy ones, the ones that were normal to you anyhow. But if you will be in love with Jesus, you will keep His commandments. It's natural to want to please someone that you love. And what some do is they pour all their resources into fighting sin and fail. Where in fact what you ought to do is put your resources, your prayers, your energies into cultivating a love relationship with God. And if you can cultivate a love relationship with God, you'll wake up one morning and you will automatically, by default, keep His commandments. But if you try to keep His commandments without affection for God, without passion for God, without love for God, you are bound in religious chains and you won't be able to succeed. So what do I do then? When I find that just this last year or just this last season or just this last week or just this last bit of my life, I find that I'm not as holy as I was ten years ago. Certain things I do today that I, it's like I backslid a bit, you know, I backslid a bit. What do I do with that? Here's what you do with that. You realize the problem at its source. And the source of the problem is a love for God. Not love for sin, because love for sin is automatic. It is more that your affection for God has decreased. Put your energy into rebuilding your affection for God, and you will find the sin problem will sort itself out all by itself. Uh, are you understanding what I'm saying? This is how we're supposed to live. Religion puts you in another thing. You must do this and this and this. And maybe if you do this, then you will be loved by God. Christianity says, no, God loves you just the way you are. Fall in love with Him and you'll turn into Him. Into His character. Into His ways. Here's a third question. Question three. Is the world lovely? Just go back to chapter 2. 1 John 2. And this is a similar thought, but just a little different. Verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's like he's saying here, if you love the world, then your love thermometer must be pretty low. Because the love of the Father, then, is not part of you. 
He's not saying God does not love the person. He's saying that person's love for the Father must be low. Just developing what I was saying a moment ago. I don't know if it was the title of a book or an essay or something. All I remember is the, is the title. I never read the actual piece. The title of this thought was The Expulsive Power of New Affections. It was a study on human nature. I'll say it again. The Expulsive Power of New Affections. And what it was was this. If we love something else, then we cease to love other things. Uh, we were having a joke in the car yesterday, uh, Jane and I, that Jane, now she won't want me to tell you this, but, uh, uh, and she has been delivered of this demon. But uh, uh, before we met, let's just say Jane watched uh, regular... Um, dramas on TV, the ones that are on three or four times a week. I won't tell you which one it was, but set in the north of England. And sometimes set in the south as well. And uh, the other thing Jane was really hot on was she went to bed at nine o'clock every night. No, 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 you were, you were an early bird. All right, 9.20 then, I don't know. She didn't go to bed at midnight. And then we started dating. No, please. We started dating. And obviously, you know, meeting me was a wonderful thing for her. And an uh, <laughs> exciting thing. And in those first few nights, I can't say it carried on forever, but in those first few nights of us meeting together and talking. She wasn't worried about the TV. And she even wasn't worried about getting to bed early. She is now, let me tell you. <laughs> what had happened is, one love was exchanged for another. You follow me? And so, she didn't have to think to herself, okay, I'm taking out a New Year's resolution, I'm going to go to bed later. And I'm going to pray and ask God, Lord, please help me to go to bed later. No, she was out with a gorgeous, charismatic, intelligent Casanova. I mean, Cavana. So she stayed out. She wasn't thinking about Corrie. She wasn't thinking about going to bed. She was just having a, a wonderful time. One set of affections was replaced by another. And this is, this is how we stop loving the world. We don't stop loving the world by coming to the altar, crying and saying, Oh God, please take the love of the world out of me. Because you are flesh. You are, by default, going to sort of love the things of the world. Because you are the offspring of Adam. But the transformation in Christianity, the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings... It's not that you cease loving the world, but rather that you gain loving God. And when you love God, it has expulsive power. It expels the old affections and replaces them with new ones. Right? 
And so, once again, our task is to build up our passion for God, genuine passion for a genuine God. It's not about trying to rid ourselves of all the evil. I mean, if you've got a lot of evil, you might want to give that a go. But when it comes to the, you know, the finer details, of course we need to repent. Of course we're going to come to the table in a few minutes and ask God to cleanse us and we're going to make some decisions about how we're going to live. I'm not rewriting all that. Of course we should do that. We're called to be holy. We have to repent. But the power of our repentance is in our passion for God. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. I'll tell another fun story from our home, which is um, uh, Emily, Jane's daughter, my, my stepdaughter, she, she said to me one day, you know, I've got these DVDs upstairs. You should really watch them. And I said, no, 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 I, I don't want to watch. Uh, how many episodes? 26 episodes. Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. Uh, is it just 26? She said, no, she said, I've got three seasons. So I try to work that out in my head, you know, something like 70 episodes. Do I want to watch it? You ever had that question? Do I want to watch it? I, I fell asleep in Lord of the Rings, you know. I, so I, uh, twice. But she said, no, 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 it's, it's really good. You know what it was? It was the American TV show Lost. Lost. I said, okay, uh, I'll put it on. I'll put it on. And I've become a real Lost fan. I just get to the bottom line. But I put it on. I thought, this is fantastic. I've got to know what happens next. And I'm like playing it, you know, playing it. Oh, I've got to see another episode. I've got to see another episode. Now, let me tell you, that was about three years ago. Since then, Emily has found love. She's now in love with seeing her friends. She don't want to watch Lost with me no more. Who watches Lost? Me, on my own. On my own. Who wanted to get up at five o'clock the other night to watch the finale? Me, on my own. I said to her, did you see the final episode when everything was revealed? No, I don't care. You don't care. You gave, me the, you gave me the discs. Now I'm addicted and now you're free. <laughs> Spoke to her just this morning. I said, did you see the final episode? I've got it taped, you know, for her to see. Did you see the final episode? Yeah, I watched half of it. I turned it off. You turned it off. You've been watching this for six years. And with 20 minutes to go, you went, I don't fancy this. Now, what's happened? What's happened is that she once loved this. But some other things came into her life, you see. And I'm not saying they're bad things. What I'm saying is there was expulsive power. One set of loves expelled another. You follow what I'm saying? She didn't go, I, I will not, as an act of my will, I will not watch the final episode. She doesn't care. Right? She doesn't care. And I care, I just don't understand any of it. <laughs> How do we combat loving the world? By many, many New Year's resolutions. Well, they're helpful. 
but even more helpful, fall in love with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Fall in love with them, and you just begin to find, do you know what? I don't want to watch that kind of program anymore. You don't have to say, you know what, from now on, I'm only going to see these sorts of films, or, or I'm only going to go to these sorts of places, you know, I'm, going to go to, I'm not going to go there. You know, some of these things are helpful, but even more helpful is to be changed on the inside. Can you say amen? To be changed on the inside. So it's not a case of, I can't do that. It's a case of, I just don't want to do that. Sometimes, you know, you'll have this experience, but you... Being a Christian, just like me, sometimes people say to you, are you allowed to do this? You ever been asked that? Are you allowed? To do? And I always say, I'm allowed to do almost anything. I just don't want to do that. I choose not to do that. I don't need to do that. You understand? And I'm sure this is the message we're supposed to carry. We are free. We are free. It's amazing. So he says, do not love the world. How can we get rid of the love of the world? Simple. Fall in love with someone who made the world. And then you'll find yourself changing. There are lots of things I do today. Lots of ways about my character, my personality, that have been changed by being a Christian. But I, don't, I never heard a sermon on it. Amen? I never heard a sermon. I never heard a sermon ever on don't use bad language. I never, maybe you ought to have one. Don't use bad language. Right, we just had one. I never heard a sermon on that. I, I don't use bad language. I haven't used bad language for 20 years. Never heard a sermon, but some change on the inside. Christianity is a Trojan horse. You get invaded from within. But that invasion is fueled by passion for the Father. One more. One more question from First John. Question four. Just to finish, do we care about those in poverty? Go to chapter three, and let's look at chapter 16. Verse 16, rather. He says, 1 John 3:16, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And that's not where the verse ends. It's no good having just that stuck on your fridge because now he goes on to explain what he means. It's always helpful to know what it actually means. And verse 17 is what it actually means. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. If we are in love with God, we will like people. We certainly won't hate people. If we are in love with God, we'll begin to be transformed and keep His commandments. We'll begin to not love the things of the world. You just automatically think, oh, I don't want to hear that sort of music anymore. I'm not interested in that kind of 
TV show anymore. And, and the final thing here is this. That if we love the Father, we will get his passion for those who haven't got very much. Let's just say something. I'm not planning to say this, but I think perhaps it should be said. I need to uh, say something here that right now, right now in the many of the churches of Britain, and I'm talking about the Pentecostal type, charismatic type churches, that traditionally, listen to me now, traditionally they kind of left the caring for the poor to the Salvation Army and to the Church of England or whoever else. There's a new move in churches like our kind of church to say, do you know what? We need to look after the poor. We need to be a blessing to our community. And it's like we're catching up with stuff that other denominations have known for a hundred years. And we think we're all new and cool and they're looking at us like, where have you been? You're late for the party. Very late. But actually, there can be a danger. I haven't planned to say this, but maybe I should just... Shall I, shall I just say it? Yeah. Well, you remember, you asked me to. There could be a real danger that actually churches can jump on the helping the poor bandwagon because it's now fashionable to do that. Well, we have... We help the community because, because the church up the road's doing it. Well, we're doing... We're helping those in debt... Because the church up the road did it and we liked it and we thought, oh, that'd be good. And I just want to bring us a kind of a, a warning in this. And anyone who maybe hear me, hears me on the net as well, the reason we must care for the poor is because we love the Father. And therefore we love the poor. Not because it looks cool on our website. Amen? There's a real danger. There's a real, real danger. That you can, there are plenty of people, and let me just use this as, as an example. If you work for a charity, please forgive me. I, of course, there are some outstanding people who work for charities, but there are plenty of people who show up and work for a charity, and in their heart of heart, they couldn't give a monkey's about the cause. No, no, I'm telling the truth, aren't I? It's just a way of getting money, it's just the job. It's just the job for them. And what's really important as we move forward as King's Church, and one of our um, tenets of our, of our vision is we want to help the poor. And if you've been here for a while, you'll know that we've uh, sort of targeted a particular area where people are struggling in debt. And if we helped everyone that was poor, we would empty our pockets and then we'd have nothing left. So, we, so there's a sense which we are, we are targeting a certain area. But let's be clear, and maybe we can pray about this a lot more than we do Let's pray that we do this with the right motive. Let's do this with the right motive. And when you want to give, you know, some finances into something, let's be sure that we're doing it with the right motive. I know money is money, and £10 in a bad motive is the same as £10 with a good motive in terms of the money, but in terms of our heart. God wants us to care about people. And uh, here we find the apostles saying, let me give you another question about your love thermometer. If you love God 
you will be moved to help those in need. That doesn't mean that everyone in need is your personal problem and your obligation. Let's be clear. But you know, it's actually possible to come along, see a man wounded by the side of the road, be a Samaritan, pick him up, take him to the inn, pay for his hotel, you know the passage I'm referring to, and not leave him the Gospel of John under the pillow. It's actually possible to be a blessing to people and they don't thank you and they don't get saved and they haven't got their picture taken in the baptism tank. It's possible to help people and they don't receive the gospel. They just take your thanks and go and that is still honoring God. It's still honoring God because he who gives to the poor lends to their maker. So there are four questions about how we can sort out how's our love for God doing? And most of us, including me, we've kind of failed in maybe all four of them to some measure. But let's ask God. Maybe it's time, if the commandments of God are becoming more and more burdensome to you, maybe it's time to come back to Calvary say, oh, Father, please renew in me a passion for you. I've tried self-help and I've tried getting counsel and I've tried getting prayer and I've tried crying at the altar. I've even tried crying at lots of altars. Here's a new tactic for you. Maybe the biblical way. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 